0: Okay, fellow students, if you would go to 2 Timothy two, we're going to take a look at uh, some word pictures, some portraits of godly character in 2 Timothy two. Uh, just FYI, update on Clint: I talked to Cindy yesterday. Um, I was there Tuesday. Um, as of Tuesday night, uh, we really thought Clint was headed home. It, it looked like it was it was uh, it was his time, and. Um, so I was joking with him, and I said, uh, "Clint, I'm going to try and check back in with you, but if you if you go home before I see you, say hi to Caleb." He said, "I will," and I'm going to smuggle him a video game. And I said, "God's not going to let you in with a video game, you know, because you and him in a video game. I mean, you know, there's people in the apartment next door. You gotta, can't make too much noise." So, anyway, Clint is doing better, um, better from a healing standpoint. And it occurred to me I'm out hoeing weed yesterday um just a brief update on perspective everyone in this room will be healed from whatever bothers you you're going to get a temporary healing which means you're stuck here for a few more years or you are going to get a permanent healing which means you're going home and you're never going to get ill again because you're free from the curse okay so when we pray for healing the prayer is going to be answered don't specify how god should do it right because if you ask Clint, he's like leaving here going home pretty good deal right okay the only reason you and i are here is why why are you still here and not there you have work to do we're going to talk about that today if the only reason you're here is because you have work to do for the glory of the king and you're not doing it whoa that's not what god left you here for we're to glorify him by our life or by our home going for me to live is christ and to die is okay you got the picture all right we want to look at seven word pictures or portraits of christian character and christian behavior all of them reflect the character of christ and they all have two key common characteristics self-discipline and self-denial for the glory of the king and the service of others all right self-denial self-discipline we're going to take a look at teacher soldier athlete farmer craftsman vessel and slave in that order all of them in second timothy 2 go to the second chapter of second timothy and verse 2 And the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So the primary priority of a Christian on planet Earth after living the truth, which which obviously is essential, is faithfully transmitting that truth to others by your behavior and by your words, right? last week we talked in first or two weeks ago first timothy six that we have been given a deposit of truth god has entrusted us with the gospel correct we are stewards of the gospel we are to steward and manage and transmit that treasure of divine truth held in trust to other people we're to guard the purity of that treasure which is the word of god and we are to pass it on right actually the best way to guard the word of God is to give it away. Because if it doesn't get to the next generation, that's not a good thing. Pastor Roger mentioned it this morning, I'll reiterate it. We are in a a race of spiritual baton passing. You've been given the baton of truth. So our application question is, who passed me the baton of biblical truth? Someone passed you the baton of biblical truth or you would not be in this room today, right? some of you it took a long time to get it in your hands because you didn't want to take it right now that you've got it you're responsible to hang on to it and give it away so the question is to whom plural am i passing the baton of biblical truth if you don't give it away it dies with you right The word of god is going to get passed on because he's going to find faithful people to do it whether you choose to or not be part of that spiritual baton passing operation at that point remember the old campfire song i want to pass it i want to pass it on we sing that but does our behavior reveal the fact that we're in the process of passing biblical truth to the next generation uh, it, you know, in a very real sense, every Christian generation is the last generation. If you don't pass it on, you're the last generation. When I was in grammar school, I read a book um, written in the early 60s called Ishi, the last of his tribe. He was a Yalo, one of the last, the last of the Yali uh, California tribe, um, Native Americans. Um, At one time, there was about 400 of them, Gold Rush era, through massacre, disease, they got down to one and he walked out of literally Stone Age culture into Oroville California in 1916 and UC Berkeley scientists loved on him and nurtured him and took care of his health etc etc he died in 1916 and when he died the tribe died don't let biblical truth die in your family tree got it don't let biblical truth die in your family tree and then i hear you say brad i'm not i'm not responsible for that you're responsible to live the truth you're responsible to teach the truth let god do bring the conviction but you model it and you teach it and if you've got hard hearted kids work on the grandkids and pray before you talk I understand. Yeah. I've threatened to send them to Jesus before. You know, early. Acts 20, 28, Paul commands the Ephesian elders to feed the church of God. Jesus, um, when he was restoring Peter, he gave Peter three commands. Same command three times. What was it? Feed Feed my sheep. Right? Now you have sheep that you're responsible for. Children, grandchildren, co-workers, family members, whatever it happens to be, anybody that comes in your sphere of influence, God put in there for a reason, feed the sheep, transmit the truth of the gospel. Colossians 1. And we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ. So spiritual maturity is the goal, and if you want to be spiritually mature, it's very, very simple. You know the word of God, and you obey the word of god right what you know you do so question who passed me the baton of biblical truth and to whom am i passing the baton of biblical truth you should have a list of names under question number two that you're praying for for opportunities to bring biblical truth to bear in their world and you know something a lot of times you don't have to run them down god will bring them to you in some odd ways. But when the Lord brings them to us, most of the time we're asleep at the wheel because we've got our agenda. And they come in on the flank, you know, the phone call from the vendor. That may be one, right? That kid who's not in your class but you run across in the hallway, that may be the one. God's got people for you to transmit truth to. Okay, let's go ahead. Second portrait of Christian maturity is a soldier, verse 3. Paul is encouraging Timothy. Now, remember, Timothy is a little bit timid. He's under a lot of pressure where he is at the Ephesians church, which is a mess. So he's encouraging Timothy to step it up, and he says, "...suffer hardship with me." In other words, Timothy, I'm suffering hardship. You suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Verse 4, "...no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier." soldiering by definition involves suffering yes are you a soldier of the cross we are are? so we signed up for suffering what happens to a soldier yeah i can see you know i'm i I can see your eyes and i'm going oh man what happens to a soldier who has a commitment to avoid suffering what does that do to their ability to function in their job description you're going to fail you don't win battles trying to avoid suffering folks now are all christians in active service i mean none of you are on deferral none of you are on draft deferral right finishing college going to dental school or whatever it is right until a more convenient time um are all christians on the front lines or is there a back row that you can go to at that point is all Christians on the front lines? Yes. So you're on the front lines now. Uh, when I want If you're not on the front lines, where are you? I mean, what are the places there to be? In the grandstand. In the grandstand. Interesting. The challenge with thinking that you can avoid the front lines is satan doesn't know any area except the front lines everywhere is the front lines for him so we think well you know the action's too hot there i'm going over here and kind of cooling it do you think he's not going to harass you back where you think it's comfortable you know this is guerrilla warfare this is not like an old british and revolutionary era where, where i can see him and they all got red on and we're gonna walk up to each other and do a volley with each other and when it's over, that's over. I'm sorry, this is guerrilla warfare, correct? You know what that means? It means the enemy's everywhere. And you're on the front lines 100% of the time. And you're in active service all the time. And by the way, there are no part-time soldiers, right? I mean, can you imagine a soldier going, hey, the bell rang. It's five o'clock. I'm off. We'll resume combat tomorrow at 7:45 sharp. No shooting until then. Come on, yeah, Michelle. Oh. yeah right we're not uh as maybe we, we don't have the armor on right we're still in battle but we haven't put on the armor how do you know people don't have their spiritual armor on they're bleeding all over the place Pam. How about I like what exactly what you said. Is it possible not to live a transparent life when people are watching? I mean our lives are of what our world view is, right. what our priorities are, what we're like. Right. And that is a form a form of battle. If people you know Pastor Rogers said often, you know, that when when you get bumped into what's in you comes out more than half the time i'm humiliated by what comes out i'm going is that really in me really yeah it really is if it didn't come out of you it wouldn't be in you if it's in you it's going to come out of you yes done. it's like a lot of us are willing to put on the uniform but we want to stay in the rear with the gear and, after, and not and just be oblivious to and ignore the fact that the enemy artillery can still hit us yes and does yeah. routinely you know if you try and take a nap on the front lines it could be hazardous to your health general rule of thumb many many Christians are trying to stay on vacation on the front lines it doesn't work well it doesn't work well the nature of reality of course is that we are at warfare and the nature of warfare is not against human enemies but against ephesians 6 rulers powers world forces spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places here's the paradox we live in the physical dimension but our enemy is resides only in the spiritual dimension and therefore the weapons of our warfare cannot be physical but by definition have to be spiritual, spiritual. and those are that's the whole armor of god second corinthians 10 verses 3 to 5 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 to 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Now, walking in the flesh means we live in the flesh. We're in the flesh, right? But we don't war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. They're not physical things, but they're divinely powerful, though supernaturally powerful. For the destruction of fortresses, spiritual fortresses, we are destroying speculations in every lofty thing, raised up against the knowledge of god and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of christ so the warfare you are involved in is not physical combat it's for the hearts and minds of people that's the nature of the warfare it is mental spiritual for the hearts and minds of people whom christ died for and satan is committed to take the hell with him so the stakes are not trivial the stakes are eternal right And the stakes are life and death so it's it's a significant battle and unfortunately we tend to misrepresent christianity how many of you came to christ by someone who said coming to christ means you're putting on your spiritual armor you're going to go to the front lines and you're going to battle to the death for the rest of your life with demons and say yeah yeah many 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 of us come to christ under Jesus um, has a wonderful plan for your life. But he loves you. He loves you. And he does love you. But it doesn't mean that he wants you to stay nice and comfortable. Because if you stay in the crib, you always stay a baby. Right? He says, grow up. Time to grow up. You know? Get out of the crib. Leave the diaper. You're 32 years old. Pick up the sword. Right? Man up. All right, if you're going to be a soldier, you have to be single-minded. What does it say? No soldier in active surface gets entangled in civilian distractions. Don't get entrapped and entangled with the trivia of everyday life. You know that, um, how many of you ever had teenage girls? How many of you teach at high school? Then you, you get double dose of it, right? There, there, There's a thing called, you know, I don't know what it is, but it's called drama. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Drama. Yeah. There is not. Yeah. <laughs> That's good, Teddy. Okay. Yeah. A very experienced person there, yes? You know, drama is, all. drama seems so life and death at the time, yes? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like, it's everything. They don't like my blouse or whatever it is, you know, whatever you run at that point. But over time you you hopefully get a little more perspective on it at that point in time. We tend to have drama. We get trapped by the trivia of today. And you know when we get trapped? When we have comfort and leisure and affluence. That's when the trivia gets us, and we really spend time. We really spend time agonizing over the size of our TV screens. Should I buy the 60 or the 52? It's just so dinky, I can't believe. Really? I mean, there's incoming. People are dying, going to hell, and we're worried about the television size. Unbelievable. My motorhome's bigger than your motorhome. Two more feet i'm telling you christians do this stuff we do we spend time on stuff when you're in combat and you know you're in combat one of the major benefits of combat it clarifies what counts write it down combat clarifies what counts you find out real quick what matters when when it's life and death and if you don't then you die because you got, you, you got distracted by the trivia at that point in time. So the, 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 the you know, stop being a civilian who's pretending to be a soldier, like Doug says. You know, we got the armor on, but, I mean, our civilian gear on. Remember the Three Amigos movie? Yeah, three, yeah you've all seen it. It's what I do, on it's Friday night, and I'm brain dead, you know. You got these three actors that are playing the role, right, of good guy gunfighters, and it works in the movies, because in the movies, everybody knows their lines. You know, we're playing like I'm the good guy and you're the bad guy, right? Pretend, pretend, right? And the classic line in there is Steve Martin gets shot and he bleeds and then he utters this classic line. They're using real bullets. (laughs) Whoa, real bullets. You know, when you're bleeding from a gunshot wound, that's not a good way to figure out that it's a real fight. That's a little late, little late spiritually we do the same thing the whole purpose the soldier doesn't get distracted with civilian trivia is because they are committed to their commander right when you're in the military you're under authority as a Christian are you under authority yes Yes. who is your commander Jesus. Jesus Christ here's the question am I controlled by comfort or by commitment to my Commander-in-Chief Jesus Christ? If he tells you to do something and it's not comfortable, do you obey or do you argue with him? Or you, you know, you you rationalize. I mean, we got lots of nice words. We would never say, well, I told God no. We'll discuss, yeah, we're discussing. John, you're so good. I like that. Well, how, about, how about a convert? Yeah, we'll pray about it, Yeah. Yeah, we'll pray about it. Three weeks from now, we'll pray about it. The way you know you're praying about it is is if you begin and end with thy will be done, then you're praying. Otherwise, you're just talking to yourself. Verse 5, athlete. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless they compete according to the rules. Now, the word athlete literally translates to strive or to compete in the contest. Question. Why would you compete in any contest? To win. to win what? So there's a prize to be had. And in order to get the prize, you write it down, there's a price to pay. If you want the prize, you have to pay the price. And this is not like, you know, I showed up on the team in sixth grade soccer and everybody gets a trophy. This stuff makes me nauseated. You know, you get a trophy for breathing. Congratulations. You know, it means nothing. Everybody's got loads of them. What'd you get that for? I got out of bed this morning and put my uniform on. I got a trophy. Spare me. I mean, we're we're, we're talking, if you're going to win a prize, you have to pay a price, right? Now, some people are not running the race of faith because they don't value the prize. For the Christian. For the Christian. What's the prize? What's eternal life? They may know you, the only true God. It's relationship with the master, right? Well done, good and faithful slave. Enter into the joy of your master. Now, if the approval of your king does not motivate your behavior, maybe you don't belong to him. If the approval of your king does not motivate your behavior, you better check out whether you belong to him. Because by definition, if you belong to him, you will want to please him because we always serve who we love. If you don't want to serve your spouse or your family, I'm telling you, your love quotient needs examination. Service is a consequence of love. And it's not forced. You love to serve who you love. That's how God wired us at that point in time. Here's the principle on an athlete. You must give up to go up. You must give up to go up. This is a line straight from John Maxwell's leadership program. You know, when you're mountaineering on Everest or K2 or Annapurna, you're in the 8,000 meter peaks and you're climbing, a couple things you'll notice. First and foremost, the higher you go up a mountain, the less stuff you carry. When you're climbing Everest, base camp's at 21,000 feet. And base camp's got everything, hospital the whole nine yards. Well, the work it is to get from zip to 21,000 feet's nothing compared to what it gets from 21,000 to 29078 to the top of Everest. That's an entirely different universe. And when you go over 27.5, you're in the death zone because there's not enough oxygen to support you at that point in time. So the higher you climb, the more you get rid of and the last the the last camp prior to the sprint to the top and back is a tent that's it you don't bring a bunch of supplies up there okay it's fascinating that because there's less oxygen less predictable weather less um, comforts the law of gravity is not your friend most Not most. Many people do not want to climb higher on the mountain of faith because they're not willing to give up their stuff. (coughs) Billy Graham is very much admired uh, by Christians, rightfully so. Um, Bill Bright, other people. One of the principles of spiritual leadership is the more spiritual leadership you have, the narrower your life will become by definition because more people are watching you and you are setting an example for far more people, right? So avoiding the appearance of evil no longer is theoretical, it's it's absolute. There's a whole lot of stuff that Billy Graham had the freedom to do that he voluntarily restricted his life because he did not want to be a stumbling block or even appear to be a stumbling block. Right. So if you want to climb the mountain of faith and you want to move closer and closer to where God gets you, where he wants you to be, there's some stuff in your life that the Lord may be talking to you about getting rid of. Letting go of. If you're going to move up the mountain, you're going to carry less stuff. I talk to people, well, I'll get to church when I can, but you know, I've got to clean the motorhome this weekend. I'm going to trade your life for cleaning the motorhome i mean there's nothing wrong with cleaning the motorhome but does it have to be at 9:30 on sunday morning right i mean it's stuff that gets in our way world-class athletes have some of the narrowest lives in the world they discipline almost all of their discretionary choices for the express purpose of going after that one thing this one thing i do when you take a look at olympic athlete training camp you are staggered at the amount of discretionary choices that they just have jettisoned out of their life because they're distractions their mission is to win that gold medal in the Olympics and everything in their life is subsumed underneath that goal what they eat when they sleep right who their friends are where they live for crying out loud they'll pick up and move to training camp to be with that coach if you're a gymnast or you're a swimmer or whatever and you say whoa that's pretty narrow yeah that's a price is the prize worth it so we as christians we look at these athletes and we and paul is saying us look an athlete who's competing for a gold medal two weeks from now no one will know your name and they'll give years and years and years and drive their body to agony for that medal and we christians many 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 christians not none of you in manna but many Christians are way too convenient. I'll serve Jesus if it's convenient, okay? You're never gonna dabble your way into expertise. You'll never meander your way into a marathon win. It's gonna, there's gonna be a price tag on that at that point. Script Paul says, if you're gonna compete, you gotta compete according to the rules, all right? What comes to mind when I mention the name Lance Armstrong? none of them really good are there pardon we found out he was a cheater a doper right all those medals right out of the record books didn't exist bad set of choices you want that on your tombstone no you don't want to do that so we have to compete according to the rules whose rules god's rules do we know what they are He has standards of holiness and he says if you want to run the race of faith and you want to run to the end and you want the prize, you got to compete according to the rules. Hebrews 12.1 gives you some clues about how to do this. Hebrews 12.1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside two things. Every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us And then we can run with endurance that is the race that is set before us. Now we know this life is a race, but it's not a sprint, it's a marathon, marathon. it's the rest of your life. Have you ever noticed that it's very, very easy in a race to begin well? Very difficult to finish well. Why is it so hard to finish well? Some people find it hard to finish well because they never trained. Whoa. I think I'll run a marathon today. Probably not a good idea. May take some training. In the race of spiritual maturity up God's mountain, I will tell you why many, 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 many people find it hard to finish well finishing well requires that you daily lay aside the encumbrances that you routinely get rid of the baggage in your life that weighs you down and in this life we tend to acquire baggage i don't necessarily just mean physical affluence stuff i mean habits of mind i mean mental spiritual habits that are lazy you know luggage is a good thing but you're going to run a marathon carton three pieces on your back right now the first thing that's got to be thrown from our life is sin matthew 5 gives you a graphic example jesus said in verse 29 to 30 if your right eye makes your makes you stumble get lasik surgery like <laughs> brother mike did right no he said if your right eye makes you stumble tear it out and throw it from you for it is better to lose one of your body parts than for your whole body to go to hell right he says get serious about sin get surgically serious about sin surgically serious it's graphic hyperbole but it it reveals the deadly consequences of tolerating with sin tolerating sin living with sin cohabiting with sin Living with sin in your life, learning to tolerate it is as foolish as letting a black widow set up a nest in your hair, or speeding in front of Mark McGuire, or getting marriage counseling from Marty Buck. I mean, you know, I mean, there's just some things, there's just some things in your life you don't want to do, right? (laughs) Yeah, no problem. Most of you have juggled the Genzu knives, right? You ever juggled six Ginzu knives? Yeah, that's a good strategy, right? Some of these outcomes are very predictable. If you tolerate sin in your life, you're going to have a nasty, nasty outcome. Tolerated sin will inevitably entangle you. You cannot sin at will and then decide you're gonna turn loose of it and run the race. Lord, I'm gonna take a little detour. to her, I'm gonna sin just this weekend, and then I'll come back and I'll get back on the race. No. Let me tell you something, I've tried that in my late teens and early 20s. What does Pastor Rogers say? Sin takes you where you don't wanna go, keeps you longer than you wanna stay, makes you pay more than you wanna pay, costs you more than you wanna pay, okay? Many, many people that played that game never got back in the race. There was an old story. I think it's, it's probably actually true of the Boston Marathon about six, seven years ago. Guys running the race about mile 10. He got thirsty, popped into a bar, was going to get a drink, get back in the race. Never got off of the bar stool. Which is shocking, right? I mean, how would he not get back in the race? Decided comfort was better than putting up with the pain, right? So... First of all, if we tolerate sin and we're not surgically serious about it, it is going to have a massive influence on our ability to run the race. It'll kick you off the race, as a matter of fact. The second thing you have to get rid of if you're going to successfully finish your race is called encumbrances. Now, the Greek word for encumbrances is ankos, A-N-K-O-S, and it literally translates bulk. Bulk. Get rid of encumbrances means get rid of the bulk in your life that weighs you down, slows you up, sucks your energy, distracts you from where God's calling you, weakens your faith, sows doubt, right? All those things. Now, here's the interesting thing. Your particular encumbrance may not be sin. He's already talked about sin. He said, lay aside, throw off the sin. But he also said, throw off the encumbrance. The encumbrance may not necessarily be sin. It may be a good thing may not be bad in itself but if it's weighing you down holding you back distracting you from the calling in your life what do we say about it Uh, get rid of it get rid of it i mean a 40 pound backpack with books on campus is fine but it doesn't work very well in the 800 meter breaststroke right there's a time for that stuff I'm convinced that one of the things that Christians do, not just Christians, the culture, we get caught up with trivia because we don't have anything compelling going on anyway. Right? You talk to people. How many people do you know come home and say, it's uh, 6 o'clock, I'm going to get a little bite to eat, and I am going to watch four hours of television until 11 o'clock. That's what I'm gonna do with my evening. I've planned it. Four hours of TV. Is that how most people wind up spending four hours in front of the, or on the internet or whatever? Most people turn the remote on, turn their iPad on, turn their laptop on without thinking. And four hours later, what happened in my evening? Right? It, it, it wasn't planned, it's you didn't have anything, com- you didn't have a compelling reason not to get distracted with the stuff. So you wound up defaulting to this because, well, I'll just be here for a few minutes and then I'll go do the dishes or then I'll do blah, blah, blah. And some of those things that we know we should do, you know, four hours later we go, oh, I guess I'll have to do those tomorrow. Does that make sense? We We don't plan on getting trapped by trivia, but because we don't have a plan doing something else, it becomes a default. Okay, you must give up to go up, which means less is better. Identify the essential. Question, how do you determine what's essential in your race of faith? I'll tell you what will help you identify the essential your mission if the mission is to climb Mount Everest what you carry or don't carry is determined by the mission if your mission is to win a gold medal in the breaststroke that mission determines what's essential diet sleep training etc now if you don't have a mission then nothing's essential and you will waste your life on trivialities because there's no mission. I mean, there's nothing driving you anyway. So why not watch four hours of TV, of internet, or whatever you do? The essentials are determined by your mission. Dump everything else. And I can hear people going, dump everything else? You don't have time to fiddle. We're not gonna be here very long. Most of us in this room have less than 1,500 weekends. Right, Rick? <laughs> Rick reminds me. I mean, come on. You, you, you're gonna wake up at 82 and go, wow, this sure went by in a hurry. And you're gonna remember, Brad told us for years this was gonna happen. All right, the farmer, verse six. Hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. What do you know about farming? I don't like it. It is very hard work. You're working morning, noon, and night. Farming and ministry can be very hard work. Farming and ministry can be very lonely. When you're farming, a lot of times you're working by yourself. When you're involved in ministry, sometimes you're doing it by yourself. You know, when you're, when, when you're fighting battles or you're, or you're running races, you get victory parades and gold medals, but boy, Farming and ministry sometimes is just very routine, very daily. You know, you prepare the soil, you plant, you fertilize, you water, you weed, and then you wait. And there's no guarantee. That's the hard part. Yeah. Not a guarantee in the world. You, you don't know what the weather's going to be like. You don't know what the pests are going to be like. And even if you get a great crop, you don't know what the price is going to be like. <laughs> Farming, you put it all on the line every year. Sounds like ministry, doesn't it? You plant in people's lives, you pray, you water, you nurture, you care, and then you're patient. Ever watch a plant grow? (laughs) Ever watch a Christian grow? Sometimes you wonder if they're growing at all, right? You got kids, you got grandkids, you're going, is anything making any difference here, God? I mean, I've been planting in this person's life and praying for them and Maybe I should just move on to something else. I never did like farming anyway, right? Well, we're in the business. That's our calling, to raise the next generation of Christian plants, if you will. So when you're involved in ministry, you're involved in farming, it's hard work. It requires vast amounts of faith and vast amounts of patience. And here's the key and here's the benefit. The farmer, like your pastor, Has to be able to feed themselves before they can feed you if Roger and Phil do not get their soul fed during the week what do they have to share with you you know whether Brad's fed his soul during the week by what happens up here and if my gas tank is empty you would conclude Brad how come you didn't feed your soul this week guess what you're on the same plan I am If you're not feeding your soul every day on God's word, you won't have a surplus to share. And many Christians have a very small gas tank because they don't ever fill it up. How often should you be filling your spiritual gas tank up? Daily. Every day, every day. So you have a surplus to share with others. And other people around you are starving. Verse 15, craftsmen. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman, as a craftsman, who does not need to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. This word craftsman means someone who's creating and building something. And the the term handling accurately, you can write this down. Handling accurately literally translate to cut something straight. Handling accurately means to cut something straight. It has to do with a seamstress who cuts a pattern straight, a farmer who plows a straight furrow, A mason lays a straight line of bricks for the wall. A road builder constructs a straight road. And a good Bible teacher tells it straight. Amen? Amen. So your and my job as craftsmen is to handle God's word with complete accuracy and precision. There's no deviation from the straight truth, the whole counsel of God none of us would go to a surgeon that had a reputation for cutting it crooked right oh i thought it was here it was supposed to be down here oh sorry you know when surgery we expect them to be precise right when they're working on our body what's god's expectation on how you handle his divine truth you think he's got an expectation that you will handle it with precision He's made it pretty clear. Yeah. Don't take anything away or add to it. And you know how we take it away? We sugarcoat it (laughs) so the culture will accept it. The culture be hanged. Your job is not to please man, pleasing man is a snare. You are to tell the truth in love and let God worry about the outcomes. Correct? The, the cultures bought and sold by Satan they desperately need salvation a sugarcoating the truth just guarantees that they're not going to hear the truth all right he says I want to I'm committed to I'm commanded to in verse 15 be diligent zealous to be able to present to demonstrate myself approved unto God Jim Elliot the missionary to the Alka Indians once said that the AUG degree was the only college degree he ever cared about. Approved unto God. That's the only college degree he cared about, approved unto God. Approved means to stand the test, to stand the test. Whose test? Mean God's going to give you a grade? Are you you convinced you're going to get a grade? this is not an audit you're not going to audit this life that you're you're actually here for credit I mean you're a real student you're enrolled right you paid the tuition and there's going to be a grade coming out at the end of the day God's going to do the testing that all your work is ultimately for an audience of one him here's the question when god grades your life's work and he will this is not for salvation folks that's done through the blood of the Son. this is your life's work is going to be evaluated by god himself the bama seed of christ right how much of it will count for credit towards god's aug degree how much of what you're doing is wood hay stubble you know when you want to ask that question before the final right i mean that's not a good time to be asking it's like oh you mean this is for credit mrs gore you're kidding i didn't know this class was for credit yeah it's for credit all right isn't a good thing we have the holy spirit to Uh teach us yeah verse 20 to 23 a vessel We are a vessel. Now in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if a man cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Interesting. The large house here is a picture of the church. The master of the house is the Lord Jesus Christ. And vessels are us, you and I, right? Some vessels that serve the church do it with honor, and some do it with dishonor. Wow. And he gives you a clue here, right? He says, an honorable vessel is sanctified, made holy, separated from sin, set apart to service. Why, ha, why do you have to be a clean vessel? We contain the Holy Word. Do you think God would entrust the gospel to a garbage bucket? I mean that's what happens when we sin it's filth and god says you're carrying my spirit right the holy spirit and you're carrying my word the gospel and you stink like dead fish whoa can't tolerate that you wouldn't tolerate it if someone brought food to you like that on the table you wouldn't eat it right so a dishonorable vessel is a person that's corrupted by ongoing willful current sin. I mean, they're not repent at this point. Now, when he talks about vessel, that's a pot or a pan, a serving instrument, household container, plate, platter, serving dish, you know, like Thanksgiving. And, and if it's clean, it's called useful. If it's filthy, it's called useless. And he gives us two descriptions here. He says there are gold and silver vessels. They literally in that era would serve the food and bring the food into the dining room, on into the table on gold and silver vessels, right? So those were vessels of honor because they were bringing food into the banquet. Now they had other vessels, the wood and earthenware ones, and those were to take away the filth from the house, right? You would use dishonorable vessels, wood, clay common stuff to take out the garbage now we have plumbing for that today well they didn't have plumbing back for that for them they used vessels and paul's getting pretty graphic here he's saying you really want to be an honorable clean gold and silver vessel that brings food the gospel into people you don't want to be an earthenware filthy vessel that takes out waste right so get clean be clean you want to be a vessel for honor, you have to be cleansed. Do you know how to be cleansed? Take out your spiritual bar of soap, 1 John 1, 9. If you confess, he will forgive. If you repent, by the way, confession is not just a series of words. It means there's repentance, heart change. If you don't, he says that gangrene will spread and kill you. And Green eats up healthy flesh. And in verse 23, he gives Timothy a very specific set of instructions. Flee from youthful lusts. By the way, I found those youthful lusts persist even when you're no longer youth. Right? Those of you who think that you will somehow mature past the point of lust, dream on. Right? And pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, etc. Okay. So, Principle. A pure vessel is useful to God. A putrid vessel is useless to God. Here's the application question. Do I welcome God scouring and scrubbing my life clean? Some of us have a steel wool job coming on our pot, right? Because he loves us enough to keep us clean. So there are times he's going to get the steel wool to us, right? To clean us up. That's an act of love. That's an act of love. The last one is, is a bond slave, a doulos, a servant. Verse 24. And the Lord's bond slave must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to knowledge of the truth. Okay. Now, are we all servants? Some of you are not sure about that. Are we all servants? Yes. What is the proper character and spirit of a servant? What does he say? Not quarrelsome. Kind to who? Oh, man, that just wrecked it right there. I mean, how about kind to some, but kind to all? Able to teach, patient when wronged, right? I'm submissive to the master, right? here's the principle i'm christ bond slave and i promise to behave like one see it's easy to say i'm christ bond slave but when i signed up to be christ bond slave you know something i signed up to be your bond slave too i signed up to serve you it's always easy serving jesus right just jesus serving jesus is fine serving you is Tough, really tough, right? It's the people in your life—the gnarly ones, the ones with warts—and they, I mean, they—they they look like doggy. Well, anyway, go friend. But anyway, right? And they behave in in sometimes not nice ways, and you and I are supposed to be serving them for the glory of the King. And we go, Jesus, I signed up to serve you, but this schmuck over here you deal with him and he says no i'm dealing with him through you right all right so this was a very uh practical in in the sense of we have very easily to understand word pictures about what our character and our conduct should be like with respect to how we behave toward god and how we behave toward others and what we said at the beginning i'll reiterate at this point in time before tom comes up every one of these have to do with serving others and self-denial serving others and self-denial